I don't have to tell you this, but we live in a culture where it seems everything is disposable. Everything seems to be disposable these days. I, growing up, heard my grandparents say this. Maybe you've heard people say this, or maybe you've said this. They don't make things like they used to. And I always thought, oh, that makes my grandparents sound so old when they say that. But now I'm starting to believe that myself. And so this is the point at which you say, boy, Joseph is starting to sound like an old dinosaur, an old grandpa up there. And there's a few gray hairs here to prove that I am aging. But I think they were on to something when they would say they just don't make stuff like they used to. My grandparents, when they moved to Chattanooga in the early 1960s, they built a house, a very modest ranch-style house in the, in the suburbs. And um, my granddad still lives there in 2018. And he is still using some of the same appliances that they installed in the early 1960s. And he has even told me there are some light bulbs in the house that he, and I don't know if he's just maybe going bonkers in his old age or if he's just telling me a story, but he says, there are some light bulbs in the house that I have never changed. I've never changed them. Well, today it seems like they don't make stuff to last. They make stuff to where you have to replace it every few years. I mean, Lauren and I have just been married a a little over 10 years, and we've replaced a number of appliances already. We live in a culture where things are made to be disposable. Things are made to just throw away and then you have to buy something uh, new to replace it. And sometimes what I'm afraid is happening, this this whole cultural thing uh, where everything is disposable, everything is throw away, I'm afraid that it is bleeding over to more important matters. Where we're not just talking about material things, and, and stuff, we're talking about things that actually matter. Like marriage, for instance. I think in our culture, a lot of people have a more disposable view of marriage. And for some people, when marriage hits a, hits a rough spot, and when it becomes unfulfilling personally or unsatisfying, Instead of really digging in your heels and getting in there and working on it, a lot of people are more quick just to end things and to get rid of the spouse. Has marriage for a lot of people become something that is also disposable? What about church? We know that people are giving up church. There are fewer people coming to churches on a regular basis week after week on Sundays We know that there is a rise among those who are religiously unaffiliated. We call them the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. People who are not uh, adherents to any type of faith. Churches become disposable for some people. When church becomes boring, when church becomes uninteresting, then we give it up for other Sunday activities. And Sunday is no longer a day that is dedicated, devoted to serving and worshiping the Lord and learning more about Him. It's just, it's Sunday fun day. And go have fun with with your family doing this or that. Not to say there's anything wrong with having fun on a Sunday, but when that's all it is, Sundays are are more important. It's supposed to be important days to Christians. 
church has become something that you can just throw away with the old appliances that don't work anymore. What about faith? When faith isn't working, when faith doesn't seem to be fixing all of my problems and issues, then I will replace it. Have these things become disposable for us? We live in a throwaway culture. And our text this morning, the Hebrews writer in our text, has a message for people like us who live in a culture where it seems like everything can just be tossed out with the trash, where everything is just disposable. And I want to challenge you to grab a Bible and go with me to Hebrews chapter 10 because we have a very simple PowerPoint this morning and there's only like one verse on it. But I'm gonna, we're going to dig into several verses in Hebrews or at least scan over those. So you're going to need a copy of the Word handy and I want you to first go with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. Allow God's word to speak truth to this cultural moment, to those of us who are Christians and who do try to operate by God's word, but have to live in this culture and are inadvertently uh, affected by it. Listen to the word of God in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may then receive what is promised. How does the Word of God speak to our disposable society? Well, in this culture in which we find ourselves, God's Word reminds us that we as believers need dogged perseverance to use a made-up word that, that uh, it has been in our cultural vocabulary for a good long while. We need stick to We need endurance. When everything else seems disposable, like you can just throw it out with the trash, the Hebrews writer says, what you need is endurance. You need to hang in there. You need to stick it out. Even when the going gets tough. Even when church seems boring. Even when something else seems to answer all of life's problems and issues. Hang in there. You have need of endurance. We Christians need to be showing the world what devoted marriages look like. What commitment to gathering with the church looks like. There are still people in our midst today who decide every Saturday night whether or not they're going to church the next day. That is not how it's supposed to work when you're a baptized believer. When you become a Christian, you decide one time whether we are going to church or not. Whether we're church-going people or not. You make a commitment. To be there, as, and that's not to say you don't get sick at times. I know that last week, you did not want me here at church. I had a lot of cooties and germs to share, and I wanted to keep them to myself. Stuff like that happens. But do you have a commitment to being here, to regularly gathering with the saints, to worshiping God? That's a one-time decision. We're going to go to church. We need to show the world what true devotion to the Lord looks like, and we need to demonstrate to the world a sturdy faith. A faith that is not tossed to and fro by every changing wind that comes our way. A faith that is not thrown off course by hardship and challenge. A faith that it's going to stick in there, that's going to endure. And there's a warning in the next couple verses that we really shouldn't miss. Look with me in verses 37 and 38. We already get a little bit of this at the back end of 36. But listen to this. Yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. Talking about the return of Jesus. The day of the Lord. 
but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. These are the words of God. If my children, if my faithful followers shrink back, if they give up, if they don't hang in there, then I am not pleased. This kind of talk, people are very uncomfortable with it in today's world, in the church today. We don't want to talk about passages like these, and yet when we look at the New Testament, we can't avoid passages like these that talk about the importance of obedient faith and devotion to God. It just, it spells it out plainly. When you have done the will of God, then you'll receive what is promised. Then you will get to experience your eternal reward. If you've done the will of God, if you've stayed the course, if your life contains evidence, fruit of your faith, if not, then God says, I am not pleased with you. So I just want us to be challenged by verses, verses like these, not to negate the, the wonderful and abundant grace and love of God, but to remind us that we have a responsibility and our eternal reward depends upon it. That's what I hear the Hebrews writer saying today. You can't expect to receive what is promised if you have not done the will of God. Now look with me in verse 39. Listen to what the writer says here. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Love that verse. The argument in this verse, verse 39, is really about identity. We are not of those who shrink back and receive punishment from God. We are those who have faith and preserve their souls. I see this almost as a rallying cry, as if the Hebrews writer is being a cheerleader for us. It is an argument rooted in identity. The Hebrews writer is saying, don't shrink back, don't give up, because you know what? That's not who you are. That's not who you are. In the movie, Medea's Family Reunion, and I know the Medea movies are a strange source of sermon illustrations, but I hope that you'll hang with me. In this movie, a large African-American family gathers for a big family reunion, and family members of all ages and shapes and sizes come from many different places to gather on the land where their ancestors had once lived as slaves. And there's a powerful scene when the family's oldest member, 96-year-old Aunt Ruby, says to two of the family's older aunts that she's ready to go outside and to see her big sprawling family. And so they lead her out the door of the farmhouse and down a pathway toward the old slave shack, the place that long ago their family called home. But along the way, as Aunt Ruby is walking along, flanked by these two older aunts, they see some things that are unsettling to them. They look off to one side and there are some young men in the family. They're over there gambling and drinking and then they start fighting with each other, cussing at each other. They look off in another direction and there's some crude music playing. There's some young women in the family dressed in, in, uh, next to nothing, dancing to this lewd music. And it's clear to the matriarch of the family, Aunt Ruby, and to the other older women in the family that these young people had forgotten where they came from. 
And so when the ladies reach the porch of the old slave shack and their family is gathered around them, one of the aunts begins speaking to everyone. And she says, do you see this shack? The man and the woman who were born here gave birth to this generation. They were slaves. They worked this ground and they bought it from the widow of the slave owner. And that's the kind of blood that we have running through our veins. That's the stock that we are made of. What happened to us? What happened to us? Who are you? Do you know who you are? The Hebrews writer here is saying to us, don't you know who you are? Don't you know who's in your family tree? Mike prayed earlier and thanked God for those figures of faith who have preceded us specifically in this place. And if you've been here long enough, names and faces crossed through your mind, those pillars of the faith who came before us, who were stalwarts of the faith, uh, who hung in there and endured and set a wonderful example for the rest of us. They are gone, but their legacy remains. Do you know who you are? Do you know who your ancestors are? If we go back even farther, that's the idea of Hebrews chapter 11. The great faith hall of fame. All of these saints from the past. People, what set them apart was their faith. And these are our ancestors. These are the people in our family tree. That's the stock we are made of. That's the blood that we have coursing through our veins. Do you know about Noah? He's one of them. He's in your family tree. God appeared to him and said, hey, I'm going to send a rainstorm, a flood, the likes of which no one has ever seen because there is great wickedness on the face of the earth and my people have departed so far from me and they deserve to be taken out to be punished, but I want to save you and your family, so start building a boat. Would you have picked up a hammer and some nails and some gopher wood to start building? Noah did. And he hammered and hammered and hammered away for years before he even saw the first drop of rain. That's who you are. He's in your family tree. What about Abraham? Heard of him? God appeared to him and said, gather up everybody and everything and hit the road. I'm sending you to a new land. And Abraham did it. He picked up stakes. And this was not easy for him because Abraham was a really prominent man and he had a big family and he had a lot of animals and a lot of servants and a lot of stuff. But God said, go, and Abraham went. He picked everything up and he left his country at God's command. He didn't know what was ahead. It was, it was a, an unclear future, but he knew who was in control, his God above. That's who you are. Don't you know who you are? He's in your family tree and so is Moses. Moses to whom God appeared from a burning bush spoke to him said, I have heard the cries of my people Israel as they are enslaved in Egypt. And guess what? You, Moses, me, yes, you, you are going to be my deliverer. And Moses says, you got to be kidding me. 
That's Joseph's paraphrase. You won't find those words in the book of Exodus. Lord, surely not me. At that point in time, he was just a herdsman. He was watching over the flocks of his father-in-law. God says, yes, you, you are my man. And Moses says, but I can't even speak eloquently. I can't put a sentence together hardly. And surely you need somebody who's going to be able to to fire the people up and, and rally them. God says, don't worry about that. I created the human mouth and I will speak through yours to get the job done. And Moses went and faced down the most powerful king in the land, the Pharaoh of Egypt. He's in your family tree. He's one of your ancestors. They all are. I want to read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 33 through 38. Look at this with me. I thought about summing this up, but there is a poetry to it that you really need to read in order to appreciate. Listen to how the Hebrews writer sums up all of these, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and more, all of these figures from the past that make make it into the hall of fame of faith. He says, through faith, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. They did all of that. Or rather, God did that through them because of their faith. Skip down to verse 36. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. The world was not worthy of them because of their faith. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, people of faith. And that's the kind of blood that you have coursing through you. That's the stock that you're made of. Your ancestors had enduring faith. They hung in there when the going got tough. They stuck it out even when it was hard. And you have need of the same kind of stuff today. You have need of endurance as well. How did they do it? How were they able to keep the faith? Well, put simply, they kept their eyes on the prize. They set their minds on things above and they kept them there. And not on things on the earth. To use Paul's language from Colossians chapter 3 verse 2. Listen to earlier in chapter 11 starting at verse 13. These all died in the faith. Hebrews eleven thirteen, Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God For he has prepared for them a city. What set them apart, what helped them endure, what gave them the strength to hang in there is that they lived for what was ahead that they could not see instead of what was around them that they could. They set their minds on what was ahead. It was always out there in the future, but they believed because they had a God who could be trusted. And they had faith in Him. 
And the reason that we do not endure in our faith, the reason that some of us even cast our faith into the garbage heap, throw it away, is that we have lowered our gaze. We have taken our eyes off the prize. We have become distracted by all manner of worldly, earthly things, some sinful, some not, some neutral in nature, but distracting nonetheless. Things that do not pertain to eternal life. Things that are, are, are not going to matter in the scope of eternity. Our focus is so divided. And we have not fixed our eyes and our minds on our Savior, on things above. We're too busy looking at all the stuff down here. And our faith takes a hit. Our faith is not as sturdy and strong as it ought to be. And sometimes when your faith stays weak for so long, you don't realize that you need it anymore. And you just throw it out. It's disposable. We've got to take a lesson from our ancestors. The people whose blood courses through our veins. People whose stock we are made of. They hung in there and they endured because they kept the right focus. We need to hear the Hebrews writer one more time. In Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, you know these verses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Let me stop right there. Because the Hebrews writer here employs language that would have been used of an athletic competition. Of spectators in an arena cheering on those participants uh, involved in whatever athletic contest. He's asking us to envision that we are traveling through this life. We are engaged in the Christian life. And who's watching and who's cheering us on? None other than Noah and Abraham and Moses and all the other faithful who have gone before us. They are our cloud of witnesses. They are rooting for us. They want us to succeed. They are in a sense cheering for us from the stands. Chanting your name because they want you to get to the finish line like they did. They want you to finish strong like they did. Our cloud of witnesses. We are never alone in this journey. We always have people around. I mean, look around you. You have people around us, but you also have people behind you. Who through their legacy, their example of faith, their voices still speak in a way today. We still hear them in our minds, encouraging us ever forward, our cloud of witnesses. We have a great cloud of witnesses, and so therefore let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There is honor on the other end of shame. There is glory on the other end of hardship. And you can endure because the big answer here is your Lord endured. Your Lord hung in there. And so don't you give up. Don't you stop. Don't Stay the course. Don't shrink back. At that family reunion in that movie, the elderly aunt concludes her speech to her family with a challenge. She says, as she stands 
on the steps of that slave shack where her family's ancestors lived so long ago. She says, take your place. Now, starting now, starting now. Take your place. And when you leave this reunion today, you take that with you. When you leave this church building today, you take the message of God's word with you. And you take your place, church. Take your place among the, fi- the faithful. Take your place among those who've gone before and set a marvelous example of faith. Among those who endured, you have need of endurance also. I don't know about you, but I bet I do. I bet that most of you, like me, want to be able to say with the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. What comes next, church? I have kept the faith. That's pretty good. I heard a low rumble. Most of you got it. I have kept the faith. It's important how you start. And it's important what the middle looks like, but the most important thing is how you finish. Will we be among those who cross the finish line like all those who've gone before us? Will we stick it out to the end? Will we have endurance like they did? Some of you may be here today and you may be feeling like, I just, I feel all petered out. I just feel spent. I feel exhausted. I feel ragged and worn down and run down. And I just need a spiritual shot in the arm. I need that endurance that the Hebrews writer was talking about. This is a wonderful time for you to come and to say, you know what, church family? I need your prayers. I need your support. I need your encouragement. You will walk out of those doors today feeling totally different than when you came in. I mean, you'll walk out a new person. You will feel like the wind is at your back. You will feel like you can accomplish more for God in the following week than you could the week before. Just from the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Or if you want to begin your long journey of obedience with the Lord, if you want to become one with Jesus Christ, have your sins washed away, rise up out of those waters a new creature, you have the opportunity to do that today too. You can, can come and confess the name of Jesus, repent of your sins, and be immersed so that those can be forgiven. Or if you'd like to meet with a couple of our elders after in the conference room or the library, you want to talk with them, pray with them, please take advantage of that. But right now, if there are any spiritual needs among us, why don't you come make those known as we stand and sing?